It is Thursday, February 17th. This is Jaguars Happy Hour. And now, two-time gold medal winning half-pipe, stove-pipe, tail-pipe, drain-pipe, wind-pipe, back-pipe, and pipe-dope, J.P. <laughs> Shadrick. That's a long list. Welcome in. It's Jaguars Happy Hour on a Thursday afternoon. My name's J.P. Shadrick. We have a busy hour ahead. Jaguars analyst Jeff Lagerman returns to the show. That's the top line, of course. Coaching staff announcement earlier today. We'll break down some of the names who have joined the staff. 22 coaches. I feel like that's cut in half from last year. Uh, Baselli's Hall of Fame reaction. We'll uh, get uh, some of the thoughts from the big fella from last week. That, that story's not going away either. That'll go all the way through August, of course. And we'll go around the National Football League and our thoughts on uh, Super Bowl 56. Some of the news that has come out around the league since then. Jeff Lagerman joining us now here in studio. Uh, we're sweating to the oldies today in here, Logs. It's a little warm here in the office, but uh, good to see you. How you oh, doing? man, yeah. What uh, what happened to the HVAC unit? And I'm not talking about the uh, the H part. Yeah, it's uh, it's a work in progress. That's okay. It's one of those. But yeah, um, It's all good. Hey, it's good to see you. Uh, you were gone last week. Yeah, it's good. Uh, you're it's, back at it. It's good to be seen. To be honest with Agree you, with that, that. that means that we're all above ground. So that's positive. Excellent. And a lot has happened since the last time that we spoke. And uh, and I can tell you that last Thursday, I celebrated. I think with a lot, of, like a lot of people did in Jacksonville, with uh, with the announcement that Tony Baselli was inducted into the Hall of Fame. It's a long time coming. We've been talking about it for years and years, yeah. and. We'll get into this a little more in depth coming up in a little while, but just to see the reaction on his face, the family's face—that's that's what made it special for me, at least. Well, and and I, and I think I, I take it to another level because I, I saw and read some of Leon Searcy's comments, and that we all kind of go in with him, and and really we do in some respects because you know Tony was our teammate, and and we've always been a big fan of Tony's. We have always thought very highly of him as a player. And I've said this before, there's only a couple players that in my career that I actually would go to the sideline and then return to watch somebody on the offensive side of the ball. Mm -hmm. And Tony was that guy. I did it early in my career a little bit with Freeman McNeil (laughs) because Freeman McNeil was such a gifted runner. And I used to love how he could – be running parallel to the line of scrimmage and then plant his foot, and then at 100 miles an hour, same speed, he was running parallel, he's running north and south. And I thought that was a a special gift. Al Toon, who was on his way to having a Hall of Fame type of career until the concussion issue that he sustained cut his career short. Mm -hmm. I was on the same field watching Ronnie Lott. Mm Mm-hmm. And I used to sit there and marvel and watch the film of Ronnie Lott because I would be watching myself, but then I would want to watch Ronnie Lott. Where is he at? Right. Art Monk, mm-hmm. who I had the opportunity to play with for one year in New York, who came to us. I used to love watching how Art Monk conducted himself and how he practiced. He was the epitome of excellence. With Tony, I've got so many different stories yeah, right. from – when he came in as a young pup to, you know, the first game that he ever played, I, I'll, I'll never forget it because he was, as a rookie, had the knee issue because I hurt him. 
<laughs> I remember this story. Yes, you um, decided to. Pretty um, simple story. We're in Stevens yeah. Point, Wisconsin, and we're doing one-on-one pass rush drills, and it's a little wet out. And I do a bull rush on Tony. He hurts the knee, and you know the franchise is headed in a downward spiral because Tony hurt a knee. Well, they put him on Wayne Weaver's jet and find out that he's <laughs> got to have a fix. They fixed the knee. His first game back ever as a rookie was against the Green Bay Packers right here at home, and it was against a defensive end that was Sean Jones. Sean Jones was one of the best defensive ends in all of football, all of football. Hmm. And so when I came to the sideline and Tony was out on the field against Sean Jones, I couldn't wait to watch him play. And he kicked the snot out of Sean Jones. It was no different than the playoff game in 96, going to Buffalo. You couldn't wait to watch the matchup against Bruce Smith and to watch Tony kick the snot out of Bruce Smith. Yeah, Watching Tony battle Mike McCrary every year a couple times. I mean these were these were monumental matchups that you just as a as a teammate of his you couldn't wait to watch. And that's very rare. I mean here here's the thing JP. Yeah. Not many defensive linemen are going to break out the popcorn, okay? Aka Terrell Owens, yeah. break out the popcorn to watch an offensive lineman. That's right. Yeah. There's only been a couple guys in in my career that I ever did that with. Tony Baselli was one of them. Larry Allen was another one yep. because he was so dominant. Yep. And uh, I can't remember another that I literally would, would pay the price of admission to watch. The, the one I like is, and we'll get into the Baselli stuff now, we'll get to the coaching staff announced that's coming up a little bit later here on Jaguars Happy Hour now. But the one I liked was I think Derek Thomas had five or six sacks one week. The next week the Jaguars are playing the Kansas City Chiefs. And I think they asked Tom Coughlin, hey, are you going to help Baselli? No. He's, he's, he's going to line up one-on-one on the outside. Mm-hmm. Okay, no big deal. And shut him out. I mean, didn't have a, a sack in that next game. And now speed guy, a little different. Tony's a massive human being. But from six, five or six sacks one week to, to zero, and he was one of the, he's in the Hall of Fame too. Yeah, Tony, had, Tony was an incredibly smart offensive lineman in that he knew what the strength was. I mean, much like people talk about Bill Belichick taking away the strength of an offense. As an offensive lineman, you're facing pass rushers that have strengths. Uh, Derek Thomas, get off outside speed rush. That was his strength. Mm -hmm. And so for Tony, Tony was inviting him to essentially to try to run him over because Tony wasn't fearful of Derek Thomas's power. What you had to be scared of was his speed. And when you faced Reggie White, Reggie White, power. Mm Reggie White, the hump move. The hump oh, move. Oh, I mean, so, but Tony was always very aware of what a defensive lineman's strength was and what their weakness was, and and so he adapted. I think in a lot of ways his game against players based on what that was, and and you know you hear Tony talk all the time about J.J. Watt. Many people look at J.J. Watt in his heyday now mm-hmm. as being this powerful, strong guy, and Tony always say. That's not J.J. Watt. J.J. Watts, you need to fear his shake because he doesn't use his power a whole lot. Well, most offensive linemen got into trouble with J.J. because they thought he was a power guy. He was just going around him. But that's what made Tony smart. 
You know, when I would try to go against Tony in practice, one of my better moves, I didn't have any great moves, but one of my better moves was to knock the hands down. I called it the karate kid wax on, wax off kind of thing. And it used to drive me crazy because Tony would pass set and then either pull his hands away at that time or he would hide them and not give them to you and then shoot them at the last second because he knew that was the move that I had. And so, I mean, as a pass rusher, that was frustrating because he was aware of what your strength was and he could adapt his pass set, his pass protection to to accommodate any pass rusher to benefit him. And uh, and on top of that, he had a nastiness that that I think a lot of offensive linemen today do not have. And he liked to finish guys and you know, when I say finish guys, he would finish guys. He was a lot of fun to watch. And I and I'm I'm proud for him, proud of him, uh, happy for him and his family. Uh, it's well deserved and and uh, it's pretty cool 71 is going to be in the hall. Here's the thing. Yes. They better get some more clay to make that bust. We, we, we talked about that. Yes. He's got a big head. Uh, they might have to expand When I say the big hall. head physically, like, like literally if you measured it, <laughs> he's got a real – like one of the biggest – I think they had to order a special helmet for him like in 95. Wow. How about that? Breaking news. Yeah, uh, just because he's in a hall doesn't mean we're going to stop. It's only just begun. Busting a shop. That's right. You know? Let's hear from Tony. We caught up with him uh, the day after the announcement. NFL honors this past Thursday. The announcement came down that he was elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He sat down with us on Friday morning. And what did it mean to have the family so much involved? Yeah, it was. To me, that's the fun part, JP. It's the moments. Um, because. I mean, being a Hall of Famer is huge. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's just, it's like, it's amazing. Um, But the special things for me were the moments I got to share with people I love. And with my wife and my kids and my close friends, that's what matters in life. And, uh, And there's been so many already, and that's what I've really enjoyed about the process. So the one person that uh, was not around, obviously, for this was his father, who passed away last year, missed it by a year. Uh, but from what we saw in the reports after the, the private uh, dinner after the fact Thursday night, they actually recorded a message from his dad before he passed away, like two weeks before he died. And that was part of the presentation Thursday this past Thursday night out in L.A. and uh, really good tribute there, but uh, that's the one person that was missing. But just just seeing the glow on the faces of the kids, they're they're really hyped up and excited, you know, about all this happening finally for their dad. Well, I mean, yeah. it's 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 incredible, and it's going to be a, a kind of a whirlwind, I think, for Tony from from <laughs> the point last week until until the induction ap- actually happens, and uh, and I, and I just you know, it's a it's a cool situation, not just for him and his family, but it's a I think it's a great moment for the franchise, for the franchise to finally have a guy huge. in the Hall of Fame. I think it's incredibly huge. I think it's bigger than a lot of people might realize right now because you you finally have somebody in there, and yes, it could start and open the door for some others in the years to come, but to finally have somebody in that room of just under 400 of the greatest football players of all time, that is a, a cornerstone milestone achievement for the franchise. Well, and, and also I think it's great because – it is Tony, and in a lot of respects, I don't think there can be a, a better ambassador for Jacksonville, the franchise, but then also Jacksonville, the city. I mean, Tony came back to the city after being gone for quite some time, and and he loves this place. He loves this franchise. He loves the city. He wants to live here, and he's raised his family here. 
And that, I think, is very important. And hopefully he paves the way for two other guys that are worthy, which is Fred Taylor and Jimmy Smith. And I think those two guys, if you looked at them just from a, a performance standpoint, simply one of the best two players in the era, and they're very deserving as well. Have you been to Canton since the Hall of Fame game in 95? No. No, I have not. Uh, I, I, was, I went there twice. 95 was the last year, which was the, the year in which the, the Jaguars and then mm-hmm. the Panthers played. Both expansion franchises. That was the, the expansion year. Yep. And then in a previous year when I was with the Jets, we were there because that was the year that John Riggins ah, was inducted yeah. into the Hall of Fame, which ah. John uh, got his start in professional football with the New York Jets, I believe. Got uh, it. And obviously made his fame with about the Washington Redskins. Yep. But – I don't know this, but I I hope that for from our standpoint that the Jaguars are playing in the Hall of Fame game, and I don't know if this is going to happen. For most organizations, they don't want anything to do with the Hall right. of Fame game, sure, because it's essentially it's an extra preseason game that most coaches and players don't want to have on their docket when they're getting ready for the regular season, especially right. now nowadays when. The emphasis has certainly been taken away from the preseason. But I think it would be really cool, not just because Tony is going in, but also uh, a Jacksonville native is going in. And, uh, yeah, Leroy Butler. Man. Yeah. And, and, Fantastic. And so I, I think it would be cool in that aspect. Now, uh, we'll have to wait and see if that does happen. But but I, ho- I hope so because, you know what, then it ensures that we're going to be there. Yeah, it's true. Uh, that would be really cool. And uh, I'm we'll – I guess we'll, we can ask Doug Peterson this tomorrow, you know, if that were the case. Get two extra weeks of training camp. You don't think the new coaching staff wants two extra weeks around these guys? Well, it wouldn't be two extra weeks. It would be one extra week. Either way. Right. So, they, they lost two OTAs because of the rules broken this past offseason, right? So and which why not get was some not more? Doug Peterson's fault. That's right, but way. that's the hand they're dealt. So why yeah. not get some more time? That would be, I think, a, a really cool. It's going to be a cool week anyway in Canton, but if you – have the game on Thursday and then the, the enshrinement ceremony on Saturday. That's a full week, and that would be fun. Yeah, I hope so. We'll I, ho- I hope we get to be there, and I, 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 I will, I will be there if I can be there, yeah. regardless of whether the Jaguars are there or not. That's the, yeah. I think that speaks for all of us. Yeah. Uh, let's come back in a moment. Coaching staff announced today. Logs. We've got a lot of names to go through. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys to meet. I, I like this staff. First of all, I'm a big fan of the Doug Peterson hiring. I wish it had happened sooner, but I really like that he is the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's exactly what this franchise needed at this point in history. And uh, and I look forward to, to talking with him tomorrow. All right, Daly's play schedule starting to really ramp up now. After around March, we'll get things going with AEW Dynamite, March 2nd, then April. Here we go, Brothers Osborne. Lil Dirk on the 19th of April. Tim McGraw, May 5th. Erica Badu, Goody Mob at that show as well, May 6th. Uh, tickets at dailiesplace.com. we got two dates with the full Dave Matthews band coming up later. Two dates uh, of Keith Urban. I mean, there's some big-time shows coming up at Dave Dailies. Matthews band's good now. Big time. Yeah, that's really a, good. That's, a, that's an arena, almost stadium show at times. It's going to be a Daily's Place, so get your tickets now. Uh, some of those shows not on sale yet. They'll go on sale very soon. Back in a moment, coaching staff talk when we return. It's Jaguars Happy Hour on the Jaguars Digital Network. 
Jaguars Happy Hour continues Thursday afternoon. J.P. Shadrick with Jeff Lagerman. Glad you're along with us. Joe Fortunato on the audio. Brent Reber on the video. We just went through the Tony Baselli Hall of Fame discussion. That will go on and on and on, rightly so. It's uh, been a long time coming. But today, the Jaguars and head coach Doug Peterson announced the coaching staff for 2022. Let's start on the offensive staff, and it starts with offensive coordinator Press Taylor. He was with uh, uh, Doug Peterson up in Philadelphia in some uh, lower-level coaching roles there. Uh, but now he's the offensive coordinator. Jim Bob Cooter is the passing game coordinator. Mike McCoy, the former Chargers head coach, is the quarterback's coach. Uh, Phil Rosher is the offensive line coach. Wide receiver coach Chris Jackson. Tight end coach Richard Angulo. Uh, running back coach is Bernie Parmalee, returns from last season. Andrew Briner is the assistant quarterback's coach. Uh, Will Harriger is the offensive assistant. Assistant O-line coach Todd Washington returns. And Nick Williams, the offensive quality control coach. So, yeah, And just to leave that list up just for a second, because yeah. a couple comments here. Uh, Press Taylor is the brother of Zach Taylor, the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. That's right. Uh, Jim Bob Cooter had uh, a lot of respect in Detroit. He, uh, he was a, a coordinator there with the Detroit Lions, I think, for a period of time. Uh, Mike McCoy, former head coach of the San Diego Chargers, That's right. who uh, was considered a, a brilliant offensive mind, which is one of the reasons why he got the job in San Diego. So I think that's a real strong hire to add an experienced offensive mind there. Richard Angulo played for the Jaguars ah. as a tight end. Uh, Bernie Parmalee was uh, the much-discussed positional coach from this past year under Urban Meyer's staff, and he was retained which is, I think it's great because Bernie Parmley is a great guy and he was treated like garbage by the previous administration, in my opinion, just throwing that out there. And then Todd Washington has been here before as well, if it's the same Todd Washington yeah. that I'm thinking about and he comes back and, and Todd's a, a super guy. So a very strong offensive staff, a lot of offensive-minded head coaches can sometimes shy away from having strong names or strong personalities or people that have a lot of experience doing what he's done so but I like when you've got a guy like Jim Bob Cooter mm -hmm. and Mike McCoy with Press Taylor and with of course the head coach their offensive experience all of that experience I think is nothing but a good thing for Trevor Lawrence in this offense. Yeah, think about the quarterbacks those guys have been around Taylor up in Philadelphia of course most notably Jim Bob Cooter with Matt Stafford in in uh, Detroit <clears throat> Excuse me, it was Peyton Manning as well. Had some time uh, in Denver with him. Mike McCoy, of course, with Phillip Rivers. I mean, so these guys have, have seen it at a very high level before. They know what it's supposed to look and feel like, and that hopefully can transfer over to Trevor. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a, it's a real strong offensive staff. I mean, you're, you've got some guys that uh, have been to the mountaintop, so to speak. I, I think also with Press Taylor, he probably at some point, if this offense goes as you know you hope it goes, he could become the next hot offensive candidate, which that seems to be where these hot candidates are now coming from is the offensive side of the ball. You know what? That, that would be good news for the Jags. That means things are going very well on offense. Exactly. The coaches right. are getting uh, offers and opportunities elsewhere. Let's go to the defense now. And Mike Caldwell leads the way as the defensive coordinator – Coming up from Tampa, it's his first coordinator role. He's been an assistant for a long time in the league. Bob Sutton returns as the senior defensive assistant. Brinson Buckner is the defensive line coach. Bill Shuey, outside linebackers. Tony Gilbert gets the inside linebackers. He returns. 
Cody Graham is the safeties coach. Secondary and cornerback coach is Deshae Townsend. He had a long playing career, most notably in Pittsburgh, and he went to Alabama Logs. Assistant D-line coach is Roy Segrist, and defensive quality control is Patrick Riley. But Caldwell gets his first coordinator role. Well, and, and again, leave this list up. of uh, Caldwell, uh, excellent player, uh, very respected uh, had an uh, assistant head coach position, I think, with the Jets, mm-hmm. which shows you the level of respect that he has around the league for for a head coach to name him in that position. Uh, that's outstanding. Uh, Bob Sutton, who was on the staff last year, is an absolute wealth of knowledge. He's been there. He's done that. He's been in the game for, what, 40 years? Uh, he's a right. guy that you can, when you've got a first-time defensive coordinator, that's the kind of guy that you'd like to keep on staff for a Mike Caldwell. Uh, Brenston Buckner, of course, was a really good football player, D-line coach. I like players that have played the position, coaching the positions that they played. Uh, Tony Gilbert, I think, has done a, a very good job. He's retained. Uh, Cody Grimm, I believe, is the son of Russ Grimm, Hall of Fame, former member of the Redskins offensive line in the Hogs. Uh, Deshae Townsend, who uh, has been a great former player in, and it's not Redskins anymore, it's the Washington football team, but when he played, it was the Redskins, okay? So for all you sensitive people out there, uh, (laughs) sorry, just suck it up. Uh, Deshae Townsend. Uh, who has been a great football player for many years, and uh, and I think it's a great hire there because he's been around the block, so to speak, as well. So I think I, I really like the combination on the defensive staff, and I'm glad they got experience to be with a first-time coordinator. And just hearing from Doug Peterson at his press conference this past week, you know, hey, defense are kind of on their own because Peterson's going to be calling the plays on offense. Yes, he'll have – an oversight thing on defense, but it's Mike Caldwell's show over there on defense. And I'm curious tomorrow to see exactly what he puts out there of what they want to be on defense. Uh, and that's, uh, I, I think that's the one, the one, if, if you're looking at history about wh- where you look at where he's been. Okay. And most recently he's been with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They don't do a whole lot of exotic type of things. They rely on a four man rush. So the, the real secret there is that, if he's a coach, and I think that you have to be in today's day and age in the National Football League, you have to be able to adapt to your personnel because there's no Vitaveas on defense right now. That's right. Okay, there's uh, uh, no guy by the name of Sue, and he's, there's he's, not a guy on the outside that might be missing a finger, but he's one of the best pass rushers that there is. Okay, so my point being and that you've got to be willing to be able to morph into what that defense needs. And, and I hope that Mike Caldwell is that. Uh, the inexperience, we don't know for sure if he is that. But I think with Bob Sutton there to help him and Mike Caldwell having a lot of experience around the National Football League, at some point you got to let a strong candidate, a guy that has a lot of respect around the league, finally drive the ship. And so, so I'm happy for him. Happy for him. A couple of special teams coaches named as well, and special teams coordinator is Heath Farwell. He was a, a 10 seasons he played in the NFL and was a special teams captain throughout his time with the Seahawks. Luke Thompson, the special teams assistant. Farwell, 40 years of age. Uh, he was a coordinator for the Bills uh, the last three seasons on special teams. An assistant with the Seahawks in 16 and 17, the Panthers in 18, and uh, now getting a second go-around as a coordinator in the NFL. Yeah, so a great opportunity for him. And I think special teams coordinators are, are very unique in that they have to be able to draw upon some experience. And, 
And one of my favorite coordinators in the league is Brent Boyer, who was – You talk about him often, yes. He was a special teams player here in Jacksonville and a really good special teams player, and he's been one of the better special teams coaches in the National Football League. And uh, he's uh, currently working with Robert Sala with the New York Jets, and he was retained from the previous staff up there in New York because he's a he's a player that's been there and done that. And so with Farwell having been there and done that, I like that. So a lot, yeah, a lot of former players on the staff. Absolutely, there are guys that have, yeah. that have uh, played in the NFL and played for a, a good length of time in the NFL too, not just a cup of coffee. I think that matters in a lot of cases because when when a player learns that their coach played the game. I think that there is a a certain level of respect that is afforded to them. But then after a while, you have that the, the coach has to start giving you tools <laughs> to be some results. To be yes, better okay. and and to help make those players better. Otherwise, that respect evaporates. So there has to be a a give and take. And so, again, that respect will be given, but then it has to be continued to be earned. And I, and I think that's the challenge with any coaches. Uh, but when there's a former player in that position, at least the initial respect happens. It gets you in the door, but then you better start making that. Hey, what can you do for me to make me a better player? That's really what it's about for a lot of guys. Exactly. And, and, and you know, when we heard this term, Last year with Urban Meyer, and, and not to bring him up, but he talked about helping players increase their value. And that's one way to put it. It's, yeah. But the simpler way to put it is just how to help the players be better. Because when they're better, yes, it does increase their value. I don't like it from that standpoint because it's not a team-oriented comment. You want to make that player better so that the team can be better. That's the reason why you want to make that player better, not so that he can get a big, fat contract somewhere else next year. You want to make that player better so you can win. That's what this game is about is winning. Well, bet you didn't know that. I, I, we've kind of lost sight of that, I think. But, yes. Deep I, thoughts. I, it, it, it's better to win than lose. That's what you I get agree. when you listen to me, JP. Deep thoughts. I've missed you for a couple weeks. It's good to have you back <laughs> to keep us on track. Uh, we'll come back and hear from Jaguars head coach Doug Peterson about the Jaguars quarterback with a Hall of Fame quarterback on an interview earlier this week. And we'll go around the National Football League a little bit later. It's Jaguars Happy Hour on the Jaguars Digital Network. Jaguars Happy Hour continues on a Thursday afternoon. Renew now, roar later. The time is now to renew your 2022 Jaguars season tickets. Season ticket members who renew by March 4th will also be entered to win one of 54 scratch packs with prizes, including signed merchandise, exclusive access to events at the bank, and even a trip to the 2022 NFL Draft in Las Vegas. Renew now at Jaguars.com. And welcome back. J.P. Shadrick with Jeff Lagerman. Let's hear from uh, Jaguars head coach Doug Peterson. He visited with uh, his former teammate this week, Brett Favre. Uh, Brett Favre is a co-host. Favre is now a uh, co-host on NFL, or uh, excuse me, Sirius XM NFL Radio. And uh, Doug Peterson was a guest on the show this week, and Favre asked him about the quarterback so far. You know, and that's the thing, as you talk to Trevor, he, he just he just wants to get better. He wants to win. He's a proven winner. He did throughout, you know, his, his days there at Clemson, and he's a, he's a tremendous leader, uh, on, you know, inside the building with the football team, outside the building. 
you know, and there's a lot of a lot of good things um, that he does that, that you can work with and, and, you know, things that you can clean up and uh, still want to maintain, you know, aggressiveness, still want to maintain athleticism. You don't want to change that stuff with him, but at the same time you want to teach him how to play, you know, quarterback in the National Football League. And, you know, uh, obviously my experience watching, you know, watching guys like you, Brett, and just how you how you prepared yourself and how you – you know, led the football team. And obviously I spent time with, with Dan Marino, you know, earlier in my career and guys like that, that, and like yourself that really have kind of shaped, you know, and how we were coached too, you know, um, our days in green Bay with, with Mike Holmgren and, you know, Mooch and, you know, Marty Morningwig, Andy Reeds, all those guys, how we were, how we were taught. And that's those, those, those same basic principles, you know, hold true today. And, and that's why I'm excited to, to be able to work with Trevor and, and uh, you know, uh, continue to, to watch his, you know, uh, success and growth in the NFL. Obviously around a number of different quarterbacks there. That's Doug Peterson on Sirius XM NFL radio earlier this week. Brett Favre, a co-host of that show, who asked him the question we did not air there. But yeah, he was he was a backup under Dan Marino. He was a backup to Favre as a player. Two different type of kind of skill sets there. And then mm-hmm. as he's gone on as a coach, you've seen him work with a number of different skill sets in the NFL too. And that's the ability to adjust to what the player can do. I think will be um, will be big for Doug Peterson. And with the, with the two stints that he had with Green Bay and uh, talking with Brett Favre, there, did you hear some of the names that he threw out <laughs> that were with that Green Bay staff? <laughs> right, Holmgren. Oh yeah, that was Mooch, which yeah. is Mariucci. Steve Mariucci, mm-hmm. uh, Marty Morningwig, uh, Andy Reid. I mean, all of these guys come from that tree of Mike Holmgren. Yeah. Tremendous, tremendous offensive minds. And so a lot of times you sometimes just have to have good fortune and an opportunity to be able to spend time with people that you learn a lot from. And Doug Peterson certainly had that opportunity, not only learning from players but coaches as well, players of the stature of Favre and Marino, but coaches that he had – in Green Bay, coaches that he had in Miami, which oh by the way, uh, Shula was pretty pretty doggone good. I'd say by the way, yes. So, uh, a great opportunity that he had to learn from from a lot of great minds. Looking forward to hearing from Doug Peterson tomorrow. Jaguars head coach and the coordinators are scheduled to speak about eleven o'clock. Uh, the press conferences will be available on Jaguars.com. And I'm sure he's excited, coaching staff, now that they're officially announced. They've been here for a little bit, a lot of these guys. Well, they're officially announced now. It's We're less than two weeks away from the Combine in Indianapolis. That's crazy to think right? of, right? I mean, wow. Super Bowl got moved back, so here wow. you go. And then the off-season workout program for new coaching staffs starts April 4th. I mean, we're like a month and a half from the vets being able to come back and get in the weight room and do all that. And then mm. you're already looking at – Free agency is mid-March. I mean, the league year starts March 16th. I mean, we're, we're in it now. Yeah, the, the, the offseason for the players, when we say the workouts start in first week of April, most of the players, the workouts don't ever stop. Yeah, it's true. For, for a lot of players, players have been, if they haven't had any type of surgical procedure, a lot of them are still rehabbing something that was not operated on and are doing some type of maintenance workout stuff. Some guys have already taken that time off and will take, let's say, the 
a period of time, two, three weeks. When I was a younger player, I might only take two weeks off. But the older I got, uh, sometimes it was even less than that. So you just didn't stop because you didn't want to lose what you had gained. So for players, it's not like they're sitting around on the couch eating Cheetos in their underwear, okay, and drinking soda pop, okay. They're they're working out and they're taking care of their diet. Why did you look at me when you said that? And <laughs> I didn't look at you. I think you did. I I you me? looked at me when you said Cheetos and soda pop on the couch. I don't know why passive aggressive <laughs> logs. I don't know what no, that's about. No, no, no. What are you I, trying I, to say? Is I'm something s- wrong with sorry that? Sorry that you're not have, an NFL player. I'm sorry that you have a complex about that. But I'm I was just, talking about NFL players eating <laughs> Cheetos and staring soda through pop. Me. <laughs> but that's uh, that's uh, the the one thing that's pretty cool too is that when when the league year starts and the new coaches start. You get a little bit of a jump on the rest of the league, which I think is really good, because you want to be able to you want to be able to start instill the new program, the new mindset, and so I like that, and and I do hope you. We were talking earlier about the possibility of maybe getting the Hall of Fame game, mm-hmm. and uh, is it too much? And a lot of people say, well, is it too much? And I, I was joking around about having the extra preseason game, et cetera, the extra preparation. In today's day and age of the National Football League, with how limited it really has become, I think it's it would be a really good thing if this team were to get that opportunity. So you get the extra opportunity because you have a new coach to start earlier in the offseason. If you can get that opportunity to have that extra preseason game, I think that would also serve this team well. Not so much from getting the extra game standpoint, but you're getting the extra week of practice standpoint. That would be nice. It would be. And, you know, th- that game, let's be honest, the Hall of Fame game, you're not seeing frontline guys go in that game. Most every team, if they even travel those guys, they're in street clothes on the sideline. They're not going right. to touch the field. In but that it game. gives you that but extra it gives you that week. week to prepare and in a controlled environment to practice. And, yeah. I, and I like that aspect of it because you can say, okay, during the week leading up to the Hall of Fame, okay, we're going to allow our starters or uh, our top couple guys on the on the positional depth chart to get a lot more work and practice leading up to the game and then once we get to the game okay now we're going to look at some of the back end of the roster type of guys or the or the back end of the depth chart type of guys so I'm okay with that and a lot of people say well it doesn't make for watchable tv I get it I understand that part of it it is it's incredibly hard to watch some of the early preseason games but at the same token, when you're looking at it just from a preparation standpoint, trying to get ready from a season standpoint, I think it's very valuable. I read an article today. Um, the uh, Gil, uh, Gil Hodges? The, no, Gil Hodges is the baseball player. Um, Dallas Cowboys, long time. Gil Brandt. Gil Brandt, excuse yeah. me. Gil Hodges played for the Giants, I think, right? Uh, Gil Brandt, Hall of Famer in his own right. Gil Brandt, my apologies. Wrote an article today, NFL.com. Um, about every team, what they should go after and free, what, what free agent they should have back. And his was Cam Robinson. I'm curious your take on this. The uh, deadline to designate franchise players is March 8th. That's coming up relatively quick. He's eligible to be franchised again. I'm not sure exactly what the number would be. It would be more than last year. Or you, you know, obviously can make a deal and, and extend him and do all that. Uh, would you do that? Are you confident in Walker Little? Do you even know yet? Has the staff been on on site enough to to really get to know the tape and know that? Um, where do you stand on Cam Robinson? At the well, you got you got a little bit of time to evaluate that as a new coaching staff. For me, I mean, I've been watching Cam Robinson for for many years, and I've been watching Jawan Taylor 
for quite a few years. For me, it's a no-brainer is to make sure that you find a way to bring Cam Robinson back into the fold. And I've said this many times before. I, I think that Cam Robinson could be the best right tackle in football. Right, right tackle. tackle. Yes. And I'm not trying to and, – and I, but I can still pay him left tackle money and play him at right tackle. you got to make sure that the player is on board with something like that. And I'm not saying that Walker Little is better than Cam Robinson at left tackle. But here's the thing I think that you need to be realistic about. Right tackle has been your weakness out of the two tackle positions. So if you want to get better, then you you find a way to make those positions competitive. If getting the best two guys on the field is making a move with Cam going to right, Walker Little going to left, or Cam being at left, Walker Little going to right, however that works, however they view the best combination as being, but you've got to create competition to, to, to achieve a higher level of performance. And Juwan has not, in my opinion, has not gotten better a lot since his rookie year. About this, Gilbrandt added this statistic into his argument for Ken Robinson today. Uh, he had the best pass blocking grade from Pro Football Focus of any Jaguar last season. One sack in 539 snaps, Cam Robinson. It's impressive. And, you know, if you franchise him and do all that, then you're going to move, what, $15 million. I'm just throwing a number out there to right tackle. I mean, you know, and then – Well, it's going to be more than $15 million. And if he's, if he's not as strong at right as he is at left, are you, in theory, weakening two positions that way? Well, or is whatever you get out of him at right better than what you had and you're okay with that? The, well, the reason I say that moving him to right tackle would, in my mind, I think be a, a great situation is that I think Cam Robinson is an incredibly dominant blocker, run blocker. Hmm. He finishes really well. He plays the game with great lean. Not many offensive lean. Juwan Taylor does at times, but the consistency is not there. The finish by Juwan hasn't been there enough. And with Cam, you're talking about another incredibly big body. Look, and you need to try to find a running game to support a young developing quarterback. The better that you can make it, the better this football team will be. So, and, and look, I understand, look, he's a left tackle. You know, well, you'd be paying him a left tackle money to play right tackle. I don't care. I've got a, I've got a left tackle on a rookie contract who – makes it okay to maybe overpay a guy that would be playing right tackle. But for all of that to work, you have to have the player on board with it. If the player doesn't want to play, you know, if a guy who typically plays left guard doesn't want to move to right guard, and he's not going to be on board with it. It's not going to be a happy player. No. So you have to be able to have a happy player. And I, I think that's what great leadership and great coaching can do is to sometimes have – Players do things maybe that they ordinarily didn't want to do, but for the betterment of the team and then maybe in the long run for the betterment of them, it might be good for them in the long run as well. We'll uh, hear during, I'm sure, the NFL scouting combine uh, from Doug Peterson, Trent Baalke scheduled to speak as well, general manager, uh, about that and many more Jaguars topics. Uh, I believe that'll be the next time Trent Baalke scheduled to speak to the public. And then uh, Doug Peterson tomorrow will talk about the coaches, but I don't know if they'll get that deep into to something like this tomorrow. But no, that's, that's I, coming up yeah. March 1st, 2nd, 3rd from Indianapolis, and that'll be the big storyline because, as we said, the 8th, that's the Tuesday, and that's what, 
two weeks away from this coming Tuesday is the deadline. For well, I, I think that will be a topic. Yeah. I also think that the uh, situation with the executive vice president will also be a question that, that my next. may or may not be resolved at that point. But I, I think that that's something that is certainly uh, maybe the number one story now that the coaching staff has been filled out. So after tomorrow with the press conferences, with the coordinators, then I think that's going to be the main story to watch. The Cam Robinson thing is certainly near the top, but I think the EVP situation will be at the top. I like it. That's a lot going on uh, in the next few weeks ahead. We're back in a moment. We'll look around the National Football League. Final look at Super Bowl 56. Turned out to be a really good game. At the end, the refs got involved, but that happens from time to time. The Rams are Super Bowl champions. We'll take a look at some other news from around the NFL. This is Jaguars Happy Hour on the Jaguars Digital Network. Jaguars Happy Hour coming down the home stretch. And if you're watching on Jaguars.com and Jag social media, thank you, first of all. Second, you're looking at the footprint of the new Jaguars Football Performance Center on the practice field. So they've chopped up one field. They're moving some dirt around with equipment and uh, that dirt part on the right is the footprint of the building itself that will be exciting so it'll be open for training camp of 2023 we've got a little while to go but they've uh, fenced off the area around they're starting to move dirt they're doing things which is great that's a good start i think i think they started construction on that literally the day after right the last game here at the stadium. They were putting up fencing <laughs> for the construction area the day after and brought in the the, the uh, mobile offices for the construction company. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. uh, it was wasting no time, to no. say the least. No, no, no day wasted there. Uh, that's, uh, of course, the start of that. Hoping, hopefully that'll stay on track. And, of course, uh, groundbreaking on the shipyards expected maybe mid-year official groundbreaking there. The fire museum I saw today is up on a lift right now. I drove by there on Gator Bowl Boulevard. It's like me. lifted up. I don't know where they're moving it or how or what, but that's it's a all tall up on, building, right? It's all brick and mortar, and I don't, yeah. But it, it, there was I could see underneath the building. Yeah, how the how they they can do that is really incredible. I mean, it's really a, it's an architectural feat that they can actually take a building or a house. Yeah and pick it up and move it to another location and then reset it down and then have it still be structurally strong and the integrity not be lacking in any way whatsoever. How do they do that? I don't, I don't know. know. Didn't they do that to the church over here by the baseball grounds? Um, when they moved that in, I think it was the know. same thing, right, when the ballpark opened and all that because that was just a block. I don't remember. Gosh, it was so long ago it's been that a they while. did that. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, Pretty maybe cool. they did. It's, it's pretty wild how they do that. I mean, that's uh, – and how they can move, I mean, you sit there and you look at like some of the shipyards. Actually, you know, you're not the shipyards project that we're talking about for mm-hmm. the development, but you go out towards like Blunt Island. Oh yeah. And then you see these big giant things that are taking containers off of ships and things, and how big they are, and they just sit there and they creep along. You sit there and go, how do they do that? Anyway, it's just amazing to me how they can take giant structures and just pick them up and move them. Like it's a it's huh. an apple on a table. I mean, just, let me just move it over here. How about that? Crazy stuff. But uh, looking forward to the new complex. And I think we all are. And I, I'm, it's going to be interesting to see how they how they because the practice fields are over there and they are disturbed somewhat because you had you had three full mm-hmm. grass practice fields. 
So will the grass fields that are there still remain undisturbed enough to where until this opens up, you can still use those practice fields? Or will they have to utilize the field inside the stadium? Game field. They have the indoor over here at Daly's Place, obviously. Yeah, but you don't want to live in the indoor them. facility. It's not big enough. Forth. You can go back and forth. Yeah, the, and the, in, the indoor facility, I, I'm sorry, but it wasn't built to be big enough, in my opinion. That should be – Then training camp's the next question. Like, what happens well, with Well, training camp, I mean, they're saying they're ready to be rocking and rolling by training camp. This but, coming year? Oh, yeah. On the fields, just the fields, but no building. No, I, I thought – No, 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 2023 is when that opens, not 2022. Yeah, but the fields will be ready to rock and roll. I don't know. I don't think so. Oh, yeah. I think they got to figure out some plans. Okay. So well, I think they'll you – know, we'll see. Be interesting to watch. I, I think so. Uh, it is – Hey, it look, is, better, have, better have some fields that you can practice with. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, We're going to go know. in the parking lot? I mean, what is this? Yeah, it's we, like Junction, Texas? We're going, to, ever, the, going ever, to the desert? Have you ever played a little bit of – Pick up football in a parking lot. I have. Yes. yes, it's uh, it's not, it's not very good. You might want to stay upright on that one. You don't want to get tackled. It's not good, and and go down to the car and and turn right, <laughs> you know, on on the pass pattern. That's yeah, not a good option route. Let's go around the National Football League. Uh, recap of Super Bowl Fifty Six: The Rams over the Bengals, twenty three twenty. There was talk after the game that Sean McVay could retire from coaching after leading the Rams to the championship. McVeigh said, at least uh, he might have had a few on the stage the other day, that he plans to run it back. And his fiance posted a picture of McVeigh, captioned it, no, he is not retiring. There was talk maybe he could go into TV and get double the money. Well, he's uh, first of all, he's very entertaining. He's a, he's a great leader. He's, a, he's an excellent coach. Congratulations to him and his football team. Les Snead, who... Yeah. Was with the Jaguars going all the way back to '95. Who who uh, who I knew less very well, and he uh, I I thought they were crazy trading away all those draft picks, but they they made it work. Okay, and Les Snead's sporting that shirt. <laughs> it's fantastic. That, That's uh, funny. That's really funny. That now. was implying a curse word. <laughs> You're right. Uh, good stuff. But, there. but, but hey, it but, worked out for them now. Long run, who knows? But they're winning right now. If I'm Andrew Whitworth. And I'm a left tackle at 40 years old, and I know all this talk about McVeigh maybe retiring and Aaron Donald retiring. Look, those guys are still young; they're still in the prime of their careers. No, it's not time for them to retire. Andrew Whitworth, though, if he walked away from the game today, what would be wrong with that? You're yeah. a 40-year-old left tackle. I think he said he's about done. So I mean, I mean and he, it, his speech. Yeah. I don't know if you saw his speech on the stage yesterday. I did. I guess I did. He said, "Hey, you know, five years ago, a lot of people counted me out, said my career is over, but I bet on myself, and this team took a chance on me, and I'm here at 40 years old holding the Lombardi Trophy. So bet on yourself," he said. That was his message the other day. Yeah. Well, he's been a, he's, he's been a really good left tackle, and, and could he play again? Absolutely, he could. He's still a good player. He's not a liability in any way, and he's tough as nails. And he's been a really—he's not a Hall of Fame type player, but he's a really good player. Played for a long One time. One of those guys yeah. like Mike Ken, who played a, a long illustrious mm-hmm. career for the Atlanta Falcons. And by the way, anybody who thinks that Matthew Stafford is a Hall of Famer after this game—they're crazy. What if he wins another one? Then you can start talking a little bit about possibilities. But mm-hmm. right now, no. Really good, really good player, but no. Considering where he was for all of his career? No. 
He's okay. not. He's okay. not. Just, just ask. Hey. We can have this discussion in Canton in August, too. Look, I mean, look there was up. a couple years ago we are watching Matthew Stafford going, what's wrong with him? <laughs> okay, so sometimes it's not always about those that are around you. Sometimes it's about you. Mm. You know, you, uh, you point the finger at somebody, three fingers come pointing back towards you at the well, same time. Well, if you're on Think offense, ten of them could be pointing back at you. That's a good point. If you're the quarterback pointing fingers, okay. Dante Fowler. Cut by the Falcons. One year remained on his contract. He took a pay cut last year as part of a reconfigured contract and did not hit any incentives in the deal. He played 14 games, six starts, only had four and a half sacks. He had a million-dollar bonus starting at five sacks. He was a half sack away from a million bucks. The Falcons were last in the league in sacks, only 18 as a team, and Fowler led the team. Um, There you go, Dante Fowler on the street now. Well, he gets a little head start on free agency, and uh, I think – Part of the problem that why Dante hasn't been able to stick in one place, first of all, when he was with the Rams, he was playing alongside Aaron Donald. That helps. And by the way, that helps. But the consistency in his performance hasn't always been there, and that's uh, that's something that is, I think, of concern to some people. He's uh, he's been a, he was and is an incredible athlete, one of the most gifted athletes I've ever seen. But the productivity hasn't been consistent enough with Dante Fowler. And uh, another high Jaguars draft pick that wasn't able to contribute to this organization, and that's the disappointing part when you talk about Dante Fowler. One in a long list of former first Well, you just picks. want to start having draft picks that stay here for a long period of time and that are really good football players and that, uh, that do a lot of winning. It would be nice. Good yeah, to see you, Logs. for it. Good to be seen. We'll, we'll talk to you next week. Uh, Joe Fortunato, Brent Reber, our entire crew. For Jeff Logman, I'm J.P. Shadrick. This is Jaguars Happy Hour on the Jaguars Digital Network.